comes louder. He's one on one with Hemsley, and Hemsley blocks it. Mitchell spins on Childs and one. Cal up top. Shepard. Shepard was asking for it for three. And he popped it deep. He was banging. Well, Watson and a foul. This is a clinic. This is Aztec basketball. What's up, Aztec fans? This is the Aztec Breakdown Podcast. My name is Trone. I'm going to be the host. I don't have a guest this week, uh, as you know, per usual for lately. Uh, so we're just going to kind of riff a little bit on the, the Mountain West Tournament and uh, get to some of the questions that I missed last week and stuff like that. I'm not going to lie. My brain is kind of discombobulated, I guess. I don't know. I feel like I haven't given myself the time to process the loss to Utah State emotionally yet. I've just been running around and and doing a lot of things. And then in the time where I haven't been doing a lot of things, I've just tried to keep my mind busy so that I wouldn't have to have to think about it. It's, uh, you know, my, my brain tells me like, listen, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, you, you know, it was one loss. It was a close game. It looked like, at least in terms of shooting, it was an off night for the Aztecs. I I did think Utah State kind of had a lot of unforced errors in in the first half. You know, the the first half, the turnover differential was like 11 to 0 or something. Utah State had a bunch of turnovers and the Aztecs had 0. And I thought a good number of those were were unforced. They would just kind of like throw the ball out of bounds. Or one was a bad call by a ref. He called uh, Nemius Keda for stepping out of bounds and it was a turnover and Keda's foot was like six inches, 12 inches away from the baseline. Like it was clearly inbounds and uh, you know, so it it was a lot of unforced stuff. And I remember thinking if they clean this up, they're going to make a run and that's kind of what happened. So it was, you know, it was disappointing, but it's still not the end of the world. In terms of like, you know, the Aztecs have two weeks now. Whether that's good or bad is up for debate. And honestly, it kind of depends on the mental makeup of the players more than anything. You know, some players might be able to use this two weeks as motivation and uh, time to rest. And, and, you know, just kind of almost savor that awful taste in their mouth and say like, this isn't going to happen again. And other players might have that time and uh you know they they kind of similar to what I've been doing over the past couple of days they might just try to like ignore that feeling but then because you're doing that you kind of end up just like wallowing in it and and you just fall into a bad mental state I guess I I'm not explaining it the best I don't think but the point is it's possible the two weeks are bad it's possible that it's it's beneficial you know it, it just depends on the mental makeup of the team. Coach Dutcher has been very complimentary of the mental makeup of this team all season. So we definitely want to believe that they'll respond the right way. Uh, but there's, there's no way for people like, like me, at least I can't, I can't speak for you guys. Some of you guys might have more contact with the team than I do, but there's no way for us to know for sure. Right. Or at least for me to know for sure. But that's that. It's going to be a long couple weeks here. Uh, Selection Sunday is is coming up at the end of this week, and next Monday I'll do an episode and I'll look at the uh, the potential matchups and especially the first week matchups. I'll try and do something relatively in depth uh, in regards to that. And then if you guys have any uh, questions, whether it's about the Aztecs or about just other teams in the tournament, uh, feel free. To, to let me know at me on Twitter, send in a voice message on, on anchor, uh, all that stuff would be great. But that's, that's that before I get into the questions, I'm not going to look at the Utah state game too much because I haven't, uh, looked at the tape yet. And, and even live, I was kind of, I had to do something right after the game. And so I was kind of stressing about that too. So my focus wasn't entirely on the game. And I, I want to be able to look at the tape before I say any, you know, concrete takeaways. I'm hoping I got 
my spring break essentially is coming up and I'm going to have a week and a half where I, it's not that I don't have, you know, my normal day job. I still do have it, but the times I have to do things get more flexible and the responsibilities are a little bit different. And so I should be able to fit more time uh, just into my normal day to day. And I'm hoping to use that time to, if everything goes well, what I want to do is look at the Boise state game and the Utah state game and do two videos for each one looking just at the defense, see what went well and what didn't one looking just at the offense to see what went well and what didn't. And it'll kind of be like, you know, the film sessions that the players will go through is, is what the goal is. It's not necessarily what they'll look at. Cause I'm not in the coaching room. I don't know the coaches. I have different biases than the coaches have, but just, you know, my thoughts on what happened and, uh, you know, getting, getting a fresher set of eyes on it. So do look out for those. I'm hoping to do those, but because of that, I'm not going to talk about the Utah state game or really any of the games too much. Uh, I mean, we all hope that the Aztecs can put together a full game. I do believe that if they play the way they did in the second half against Boise or the first half against Utah state, they can beat anybody, right? They still, I don't know if they'd be favored to beat anybody, I haven't seen teams like Kansas play all year. I've seen maybe like 10 minutes of a Baylor game all season, right? So it's not that they would be favored necessarily, but they definitely can beat anybody in the nation. And and they would be favored to beat most teams, right? There's probably maybe three or four that they might not be favored against if they manage to put together a full game. So hopefully they can do that. With that being said, let's get into a couple things here. The notes I took, some of these were from questions. Sorry, I'm kind of organizing my thoughts here. So first thing I want to talk about, Malachi Flynn in regards to his uh, status as in, – in regards to his draft status, right, for the NBA draft. My thoughts regarding this – I've mentioned this before in an earlier episode. Obviously, the, the choice is up to him, and I would be – as a fan, I would be supportive of what, regardless, you know, whether he, he declares for the draft or not. Uh, I, I don't like it when fans say this guy needs another year of seasoning before he can make it in the NBA. Because if you take Jalen McDaniels, for example, a lot of people were saying Jalen McDaniels should have come back for his junior year. That way he can improve his skills and and make it in the NBA. The problem with that is if you come back for another year on top of basketball, you also have your classes and stuff you have to do. Like there's a lot of other things going on. Whereas if you go to the NBA, even if you're just in the G League, your only responsibility is to get better at basketball. And so you can focus on that more. You can spend more time doing it and uh, you can just improve better and faster that route. So if you're good enough to make it to the G league and you have the potential to make it to the NBA, if, if you're given the opportunity to put in the time and the, and the work, then I don't think it's bad to leave. Even if a lot of fans will say it's a year early. Uh, I mean, it's just my thoughts, but Malachi Flynn is, is in my opinion, good enough to make it in the G league. Uh, so I, I couldn't fault him for that. To me, his draft profile seems very similar to that of Cassius Winston last season, who, if I'm remembering correctly, won the Player of the Year award. If, if, if I'm remembering that correctly, he he was the best player in, in college basketball, right? He's a point guard, 6'1". He's, he's highly skilled, uh, not the most athletic guy, not the biggest guy, obviously, if, if, if each player is 6'1" but definitely highly skilled can score from any level has a lot of assists, doesn't turn the ball over a lot. Their profiles on paper seem very similar. Cassius Winston came back to college for his senior year. As I remember, which is sketchy because my memory isn't always great, but if I'm remembering correctly, Cassius Winston was kind of like a late first round draft pick at best and more likely a second round draft pick. And the prevailing theory is if 
somebody tells you they'll draft you in the first round, you declare for the draft because if that's the case, you are guaranteed a contract and you'll likely be on the team for at least four years. If you're a second, if they tell you you're a second round draft pick, then you go back to school because you're not guaranteed really anything. It's a lot easier for them to cut you. And if they cut you, you don't get any money. They do still have a, a, an investment in you. Um, And once again, we can look at Jalen McDaniels. He was drafted in the second round, got sent down to the G league to work on his game. And then, uh, you know, is, is playing in the NBA right now. He's getting some minutes here and there. So it's not, it's not the foolhardy thing. But I, I think Malachi Flynn profiles similar to Cassius Winston. I don't think it would serve Malachi to come back for another year in terms of improving his draft stock because the things that are holding him back aren't his skill level. It's his size and his athleticism, and there's nothing you can do about that. The only thing that might happen would be if the Aztecs don't go on a, a deep tournament run this season, they they, they leave in the round of 32 or the sweet 16 type thing. The only thing that would help is if next season Malachi Flynn helped lead the team to like a final four appearance. That would be it. That would be the only thing that would substantially increase his draft stock. Uh, But all that being said, you know, I don't know what was in Cassius Winston's head when he's, when he decided to come back for his senior season, it, it possibly could have hurt his draft stock because of his his personal issues and, and the team being worse around him. Um, he hasn't been regarded as highly this year as he was last year. And so, you, you know, coming back for another year can hurt you as well. But just based on that profile, if I had to guess right now, I would say Malachi Flynn returns for his senior season. But really, ultimately, it's up to him and uh, he should definitely – declare and go work out for the teams because the new rule that started last year allows players to go work out for teams. And then uh, after they do that, they can pull their name out of the draft and return to school. That way they have the feedback from the pro scouts and the pro coaches. He should definitely do that and, and test the waters. But if I had to guess at, at this moment on, on Monday, March 9th, I would guess Malachi Flynn comes back. I don't want to get anybody hopes up for it, but that would be my guess. Uh, what else do we got? Let's talk about Nathan Mensa. This is one of the questions that I got. I think it was from a couple people. I know Aztec's coverage brought it up, but I think one or two other people brought it up as well. And, and the basics of the question, I'm not going to read it word for word because it's deep in my mentions and I don't want to pull it up, but it was basically just, you know, what impact might Nathan Mensa have on this team if if he is to return? I haven't read Ziegler's latest articles. I need to just uh, pony up, I think, and do that dollar for four weeks trial that the Union Tribune has. Um, so I don't know if he's been talking about Nathan's possible return at all. The, the initial timeline, as I remember, was the second weekend of March. Then it seemed like that had gotten moved up to maybe the first weekend of, of March, not March, the, the month, but March, the, the tournament. And so, you know, we got, we got two more weeks. It'd be nice for Nathan to get cleared. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, I, I said at the beginning of the season that Nathan Mensa in my mind was the most important player on the team. My opinion on that has changed. The, the reasoning for it was I thought the defense was going to be the weak spot of this team. And that hasn't been the case all season. The weak spot has been consistency more than anything else. But I thought the defense was going to be the weak spot and Nathan Mensa would kind of help clean up a lot of defensive mistakes. The defense hasn't been the weak spot, but I think the defense is still better with Nathan Mensa on the floor. First off, you, you have a legit shot blocking center. Yanni is is great and provides a lot of things. And Agueca Rope blocked Nemius Keda, I think, twice. And so he's he he has some interesting skills he brings to the table, but neither of them are Nathan Mensa. And if you have a guy like Nathan Mensa and you're going up against uh that big man from Kansas or Obi Toppin or uh 
Luca Garza. We saw what Nathan did to Luca Garza. You know, it, it just it changes the way you can it, it gives you more options, basically, right? Because Nathan can can guard these guys one-on-one. We've seen Yanni Wetzel struggle guarding guys like Nenius Keda one-on-one, right? And so that means you have to double team or you have to do something else to even prevent the catch in, in, in the first place, right? Which means you have to be more aggressive on the back end, which means you can get burned. And that happened. Uh, in, in the Utah State game, the announcers was was singing the praises of Kada, And it was a good move by Kada, but it was more uh, Yanni just tried to jump the passing lane and, and, and hit the ball and possibly get a steal and he missed it. And Kata was able to just turn around and get a dunk. And the announcer made it sound like Kata made this great move that shook Yanni off. And that wasn't, that wasn't what happened at all. Uh, it was a good move by Kata. I'm not trying to say it wasn't, but it, it, it was more Yanni's mistake than Kata's brilliance down low. But with a guy like Nathan, you don't have to do that as much, right? Cause Nathan can, can alter those shots and block those shots. And, and you just build your defense around it. Plus it lets, the guards close out harder on three point shooters. It lets them, they might not have to help quite as, as far uh, that, you, you know, they might not have to leave their, their guy quite as much because Nathan is down there. They can play more aggressive on the perimeter. Cause they know if they get beaten, Nathan is back there. Whereas that confidence won't be there as much if it's a rope or, or Yanni or even Matt Mitchell back there. Right. Even though those guys can all get blocks, they just, that's not, their skill set, right? Their, their skill set isn't protecting the rim. It's just in an uh, auxiliary thing that they can do. So you can you can play more aggressive on defense, hopefully force more turnovers, get more fast break layups, all that type of stuff, right? So that's all great. And then on offense, it gives you another big presence inside. It lets Yanni likely not be matched up with these big time centers. So take once again, Kata, for example, right? If Yanni is being guarded by whoever Utah state's four man is, I want to say Justin Bean, he's going to get his points more than if he's being guarded by Kata, right? It's, he has a size advantage. He's has all that post skill, right? And if Kata's on Nathan, then Yanni can, can just go to town down low. Uh, and that'll happen against a lot of other teams because a lot of teams don't have the size where they can place two six ten to seven foot guys down low. And then Yanni can also have three point shots. I I I kind of wish he had been willing to take more during the Utah State game. I probably shouldn't. I said I wasn't going to get into Utah State, but there was a brief moment where on offense it was Yanni and a rope were in the game. And Yanni was playing the role of the power forward and a rope was playing the role of the center offensively, defensively. I think they switched it up again, but offensively that's what it was. And I thought it was great because a rope I think is actually a little bit better rolling to the basket than Yanni is, or at least has been lately. And Yanni, uh, it allowed him to kind of space the floor. So it allowed you to play with two big men defensively, but also still kind of space the floor. And and they only did, I think for one possession and Yanni took a corner three pointer and airballed it, but it was an open shot. So I wasn't, I wasn't upset with it. And I was like, I hope they do that a couple more times. And they didn't. Uh, but it just, you know, Yanni can still space the floor and I think he's a more natural power forward and then it also helps you out inside. If they come to double Yanni, if they double off a shooter, great, take the three-point shot. If they do a big-to-big double, so if whoever's guarding Nathan comes to double Yanni, Yanni showed earlier in the season to be really good at passing out of that and hitting Nathan, and then Nathan would just get a dunk, you know, nice and easy. So helps your inside presence that way. And then also... Uh, it's a lot easier to do the high-low actions when you have two legit 6'10 players down low. Um, and so if, you know, somebody's being fronted, if, if they're trying to, to get the ball into to Yanni, let's say, and he's being fronted, Nathan runs up to the top of the key, gets the pass, Yanni just simply turns around. And now... He's in between the basket and his defender and Nathan passes it to Yanni and Yanni gets an easy dunk 
or a foul or both, you know, and that can work both ways. They've both shown the ability to be able to do that, right? So Yanni can go up to the top and pass it into Nathan as well. And so that should help get you more, more easy looks inside. That is very dictated by how the defense is guarding you, but it gives you another option, right? And that's, that's what it's about. It's about options. Oh man, my voice is tired. I was just going to say something else and I forgot. I'm sorry. This is wonderful radio. Oh, so the one trick about Nathan is he has been keeping up his conditioning. So I'm not too worried about whether he'll be able to play big minutes or not. Plus, I think he only averaged between 20 and 25 minutes when he was a starter anyways. And so I'm not worried about his minutes necessarily what I would, the one thing I would worry about is the cohesion with the team because he hasn't been able to do any contact in practices. And I think coach Dutch said they might include him in like five on zero practices where you're just running through the motions of the offense to make sure everybody knows where to be. But it's, it's just not the same as when you run it, when there's a defender in your face and Nathan can't do those because that's where the contact happens. And so that would be my one worry is that playing Nathan and Yanni at the same time might mess with the cohesion and the chemistry a little bit. And so it would just, if you do that, it's just a matter of weighing out the benefits and the negatives and it might not be an issue. You know, if, if Nathan gets cleared like today or tomorrow and they have a couple weeks to practice with him again, then great. You know, I'm, I'm not as worried about it as much. If he gets cleared like the day before the game, that's a little bit different. And so his role might change, you know, depending on which one of those things it is. If if he's able to practice a lot and, and get that chemistry back with the guys, then even if he comes off the bench, he'll get more minutes and he'll play alongside Yanni Wetzel more. If he's not able to get that practice in, he'll probably come off the bench and just be a backup to Yanni. He, he would basically take the role a rope has been playing with the last couple games as that, as that backup center. And that would be a really good backup center to have, but it just, uh, you know, some of that offensive stuff I was talking about the big to big passes and things like that wouldn't work as well. This is kind of a side note, but along the lines of these, 12, 13 days they have left. I, I tweeted during the Utah State game, you know, Nemius Keita was just, it felt like he was deterring a lot of shots inside. And looking at the box score, it doesn't seem like that because the Aztecs only took 19 threes. It's one of the lowest totals they've taken all season. And normally you'd think that would number would go up with Nemius Keita down there. But, you know, it for all the fans and to a certain extent, myself included, that want to see the ball go inside more. I would love to see they have a couple weeks here, week and a half or so. I'd love to see them add them being the Aztecs a Spain pick and roll to their to their offensive arsenal. It's on paper, it's a pretty easy play. Getting the timing down is a little bit harder, so it might be kind of late to do to do that. Uh, it's something the Aztecs have done before, but I haven't seen it since Malik Pope was on the team and I, it might not have even been the last year Malik was on the team. It might've been like his sophomore or junior year, honestly. So it's been a minute, but if, if you don't know what a Spain pick and roll is, you have the ball handler, right? Let's say it's Malachi Flynn. He's at the top of the key above the three point arc. You'll have in this case, let's say Nathan is good and Uh, He's healthy and he's been able to practice, right? So we're going to have Malachi, Nathan, and Yanni Wetzel all involved in this play. You'll have Nathan Mensa come up and set the screen for Malachi Flynn. Okay. And we'll say uh, the screen is being set so Malachi can go to his right. You will then have Yanni Wetzel come up and set a back screen on Nathan Mensa's guy. And so what happens is Malachi comes off of Nathan's screen right? Malachi comes off of Nathan Mensa's screen. Nathan Mensa is going to roll, but as he rolls, his defender hits Yanni Wetzel, who's setting that back screen. And then Yanni Wetzel, after setting his screen, can pop out to the three-point line. And so what happens is 
Malachi Flynn hopefully gets open because uh, Nathan Mensa's guy can't come out and hedge on him, can't can't do anything, right? If he does, Nathan Mensa should be open um, because either his guy got screened or his guy went out to Malachi Flynn. And then on top of that, you have Yanni Wetzel popping out to the three-point line. And so the guy guarding Yanni Wetzel if he realizes what's happening, he might drop back and guard uh, Nathan Mensa, but that leaves Yoni Wetzel at the top of the key for an open three-point shot, and we know he can hit those. And so it's just a way to kind of – it opens up the paint a little bit because if you take Nemius Keita, for example, he would have been screened as well along with screening Sam Merrill or whoever was guarding Malachi Flynn, and it just uh, – it, it can open up those inside shots a little bit easier. It has to be executed right. The timing has to be really good, but it's something I would like to see. And it's not something that should be their main thing, but just a wrinkle you throw in two or three times a game, maybe. And then if it works a lot, maybe throw it in more, but just a way to, to draw out those big men without having to play small ball. Basically, I'm going to give my voice a break for a minute. And then, uh, after the break, I'll, I'll answer a couple more questions that I didn't get to last week. And we're back. Got a couple more questions to talk about to finish up this, this mailbag deal that I started last week. So... Number one, I, I don't have the specific questions because, like I said, they were uh, they were from last week. I just kind of wrote down the the gist of them in my notes here on my phone. One was about Adam Seiko, and I I feel like I, I don't know how many weeks it's been. It feels like it's been a couple weeks, but I've been campaigning for a minute now that Seiko needs more minutes, and and I'm standing I'm standing by that. Uh, I, and I think those minutes, you like, I always hate like saying this stuff cause you know, I'm a fan of all these guys. And, uh, on top of that, these are, these are 18, 19, 20, 21 year old, excuse me, 21 year old kids. And so that's a thing too. But I think Adam Seiko's minutes should come at the expense of Trey Pulliam. I, uh, I just think Trey Pulliam is there for a reason. And and like I've said in previous podcasts, whether it's due to scheme or due to his own personal preferences or whatever, he's not fulfilling that reason. You know, he's there to be basically a third ball handler off the bench. But because he is always on the floor with either Malachi Flynn or KJ Fagan, he's not really given that opportunity. And against Nevada, he was a little bit. He was given that opportunity. And I pointed that out in my last video. And uh, I was I was like, this is great. You know, if, if he's going to do this, I don't know, five or 10 times a game, maybe, you know, if, if, he's, if he's not even necessarily like running the pick and roll, but just initiating the play and letting guys like KJ and Malachi come off of screens and make cuts and stuff so that they can score a little bit easier. Then, then that's great, right? Then play him, uh, and that'll be that'll be great. And and Trey Pulliam does add some other things too. He had, I think it was against Utah State. He had a really good shot that he made. Maybe it was Boise State, but maybe it was both. I don't know. That's not the point. Like the point is just he's there for a reason, and for one reason or another, he hasn't been able to fulfill that duty very well, right? Adam Seiko, on the other hand, is also there for a reason. It's a different reason. You know, Adam Seiko is there to play defense and hit three-point shots, and that's it, right? Uh, and Adam Seiko has has done that pretty well. You know, he's he's been a great defender. I'm trying to pull up his, his three-point percentages right now. Where are we at here? Adam Seiko, 36%. So above average, average is about 33.3 in college, 36. It's not, you know, lights out like Jordan Shackle, but it's, it's enough for sure. It's above average, right? And so 
he's fulfilling his role and his main thing is is the defense right the the three pointers are just icing on the cake and that's pretty thick icing at 36% but the main thing is the defense so adam seiko is allowed to do his job his his impact and his role isn't going to suffer when he doesn't touch the ball basically whereas trey polium's impact will suffer right and so it's not to be mean mean to Trey or anything. It's just the the styles and the abilities that they each have. I think Seiko suits this what this team needs right now a little bit better, right? There was a point at the end of the Utah State game. Adam Seiko only got 12 minutes in the game, first off. And there's a rumor going around on Twitter. Uh, it, it seems like no nobody in the news like at like what's it? mark ziegler hasn't reported it it hasn't been you know uh john schaefer didn't say anything about it so you know take that for what it's worth but a number of people on twitter said they saw kj fagan throwing up into a trash can during a media timeout in the first half of the utah state game right now if that's true one KJ played like 35 minutes, I think. Like that dude has some serious guts and was still doing everything he could to slow down Sam Merrill. And honestly, the uh, the play towards the end of the game where Fagan had a foul called on him was was kind of garbage. I'm not gonna say like that's the reason the game was lost necessarily because I pointed out the refs called Nemius Kata out of bounds earlier in the game too when he clearly wasn't, and that would have given them two points. And Sam Merrill's thing only got him one point, so. You know, the bad calls go both ways, but Fagan was doing a great job on on Merrill, all things considered. Merrill's just a beast, and Merrill's 6'5", and Fagan's 6'1", and so that doesn't help. But Fagan, I I still think, played admirably, and if he's throwing up and has flu-like symptoms during the game, like, that's just even more impressive. Uh, if that if that's true, right? I, I have to say that big if because, like I said, nobody officially has reported anything like that. It's just some people said they thought they saw it who were at the game. If that's true, Seiko needs to play more, right? Because Seiko will fill in that defensive role that KJ plays. He can still hit some threes like KJ does. He he doesn't have the same ball handling. But if you want that second ball handler out there, then you can put Trey out there too, right? Like they play Malachi, KJ, and Trey Pulliam all on the floor at the same time quite a bit. And so just switch out KJ with Seiko and that's fine. Live, before I knew anything about KJ possibly having been sick that game, I thought that uh, there was a point somebody was shooting free throws. I don't remember who it was, Uh, but Malachi Flynn was out of the game and I saw him during the free throw. You know, he stood up to walk over to the the scoring table to check in. And I was like, this is good. Let's get Malachi Flynn back in the game, right? He's the, the, the leader on the team. So let's get him back in and, uh, you know, add some, add some offense to this, this defensive lineup that's out here. And then they pulled out Adam Seiko, and I thought, no, no, this is this is wrong. This isn't what you want. Trey Pulliam is on the floor. Pull out Trey Pulliam. There's like two minutes left in the game. Pull out Trey Pulliam. Leave Seiko on the floor and uh, add that defense. Because Pulliam's an okay defender, right? He's not, he's not a bad defender. He's just not a great defender. And in that situation, you needed some great defense, right? And and the KJ throwing up thing just accentuates it. Like have a healthy Adam Seiko who's who's six three instead of six one and and argue arguably as good of a defender or better of a defender than KJ Fagan is. I, I'd have to go back and look, you know, at the tape uh, more diligently to to make a decision on that one. But they're pretty they're pretty close. Even if KJ's better, they're pretty close. But Seiko's a little bit taller. A little bit longer, so like, let him be out there and shut down somebody. Even if you don't put him on Sam Merrill, let him shut down somebody else, right? If if you want to run with KJ on on Merrill, cool, but let's say go shut down somebody else because Trey Pulliam isn't going to shut anybody down, right? He'll just kind of he'll he'll do his job, but he's not going to shut anybody down. 
So I thought that was a mistake. And going to bed that night, I remember thinking, uh, Coach Dutcher has mentioned before that when his team loses a game, he will often have like sleepless nights thinking, could I have done this? Could I have done that? Should I have done this? And I was like, I wonder if tonight Coach Dutcher is going to bed thinking I should have let Adam Seiko stay in that game, right? And and possibly to a, a separate extent, you know, should I have let Seiko guard Sam Merrill on that last play, right? And And that's an argument that could be made based off of the comparable defense overall, but the better size, you know. And, and even more so if KJ was sick. So that's a thing. I am, I am definitely team Seiko needs more minutes for sure. And, and I'm pretty sure I said this in a previous episode, but Seiko should uh, be the first guard off the bench. If, if Nathan comes back, it sounds like he'll be the first big off the bench. Uh, Even though I might, I don't know, I'd have to see the practices and stuff, but I might prefer having, Matt Mitchell come off the bench just because like I've said before, he's more of a all purpose kind of guy. And so it just keeps your scoring at a consistent level, keeps your defense at a pretty consistent level throughout the whole game, that type of thing. So there's that, but it sounds like Nathan Mentz will be the first big off the bench. I would like to have Adam Seiko be the first guard off the bench, but that's not going to happen. It's still going to be Trey Pulliam and then uh, have a Gweka rope will be, the other guy that comes off the bench essentially. Right. And that's, that's just what it'll be. Um, and it'll just be a lot of positional moving between the starters. It I'm expecting an eight man rotation for, for the tournament, especially if the games continue to be close like this. Uh, and those are, those are the eight. I think it'll be right. We got, just, just to, to recap, KJ, Malachi, Jordan, Matt Mitchell, Yanni Wetzel as the starters, and then Nathan's the first big off the bench. A rope comes off the bench just as like a energizer slash enforcer slash rebounder. Uh, although, man, I really wish – a rope comes in as a four, but it just kills the spacing of the team. So they either need to find a way to – if he's going to play as a four – play him in a similar way that they played Nathan earlier in the year and, and have some like big to big type actions or uh, play rope as the five and play Yanni as the four when, when that's the lineup, because it just, it just kills the spacing on offense. And that's why we don't see Yanni and a rope play together a lot, or at least that's one of the reasons is because offensively it doesn't work out very well. But uh yeah, that's something you'd like to see. Uh, but you got Nathan Mensah, Guacarope, and then Adam Seiko come off the bench. And uh, yeah, that's that's how I would do it. The last thing was a couple people asked about next year. And it was before the Utah State loss, so they weren't like, oh, okay, move on to next year. You know, I don't want to badmouth anybody. Uh, I admittedly try to focus not a lot on next year. I just – I want to keep my focus – especially in a public sphere, like on this year, just cause I, I can daydream a lot and I don't know. It's a thing. That being said in times where like there was bye weeks or something, I have thought a little bit about next year. I am hoping, <clears throat> excuse me, that I can get a uh, mic from Aztec hoops nation on another pod at some point over the summer, probably after the, official uh, signing period ends. I haven't talked to Mike about this yet, but I'm pretty sure he listens. So Mike, we should definitely do, do another pod after the, after the signing period uh, and talk about what next year would look like for right now. To me, the tricky part is uh, what is Shay Evans role? Because from what I understand, he wanted to play to school where he could get a lot of minutes early on. Right. And he ended up coming to San Diego state. And so because of that, uh, what's his role going to be? Is he, was he promised a starting role as a freshman? What was he promised, you know, at least a sixth man role as a, as a freshman? What's, what's that going to be, you know, because that's going to change things. The, the lineup, the starting lineup next season, if Shea Evans is a starter would be, probably let's start at the center. So you got Nathan Mensa at the center. 
they don't have another power forward like in a traditional sense. They, a rope is probably the closest thing. I don't think he's a starter, though. You have Nathan Mensah at the center. You did put probably Matt Mitchell at the power forward, put Shea Evans at the three at the small forward position, and then and then the guard spot gets hard because Malachi Flynn is definitely going to play. And so it's do you put in Jordan Shackle as the two, or do you put in Malachi Flynn as the two and have Trey Pulliam play as like the point guard? That would be the the tricky part, right? Uh, my vote would be for Jordan Shackle, but. Coach Dutch likes to have ball handlers, and so that would be the other thing is do Shea Evans and Matt Mitchell provide enough shot creation, whether for themselves or for teammates, to kind of justify having Trey Pulliam be off the floor at those times? So that would be a thing, whereas if Shea is a sixth man, it's probably Nathan Mintz at the center, uh, Matt Mitchell at power forward, Jordan Shackle at the small forward, Malachi Flynn at shooting guard, and then Trey Pulliam at point guard, right? And so it it kind of changes things up a little bit. So there's that. I do think similar to, you know, my rant about Adam Seiko this year, I think he needs a lot of minutes. And I'm kind of, I'm not going to lie, a part of me thinks that he could be playing himself into a starting role next season which is weird and it's tough because I'm like, you know, who do you take out if that's the case? And I don't know. Um, But I feel like Adam Seiko could be a starter on a good team at this point. Like I've seen enough that I think that is the case. And so Adam Seiko needs good minutes. A rope needs good minutes. Uh, You need to find another big man of some sort, whether that's a uh, grad transfer, whether that's, I know Aztec Hoops Nation has talked about a kid whose name I can't remember, but I think he's like 6'10", and he plays for a junior college right now, which means if he transfers, he doesn't have to sit out a year, Uh, at least most of the time, I I guess is my understanding. Uh, Could he come in and fill that power forward spot? You know, so that's, that's tricky. Uh, or if not power forward, then a backup center spot, because right now the backup center, you know, Nathan is solid, but after him, the backup centers would be a rope. Who's more of a small ball center or Joel Mensa, who has been okay in spurts this year, but hasn't shown a lot. So in terms of that, it would depend on how much he can improve over the off season, But right now, like at this moment, I would say he's not ready to be a backup center on like a really good team, right? And so there's that. So that big man spot is a little bit of a concern. Shea Evans will definitely get playing time. It's just a matter of of role. But at that point, so we have our starting five. We need a backup big who is likely yet to be determined. Uh you have Adam Seiko coming off the bench. You have a rope coming off the bench and then either Shea Evans or probably like Trey Pulliam coming off the bench, somebody. So that's nine guys, right? Let me, let me recount just to make sure. So let's say it's, let's say the starting lineup is Malachi Flynn, Jordan Shackle, uh, Shea Evans, Matt Mitchell, Nathan Mensa. So that's five. You had Trey Pulliam, you had Adam Seiko, you had a Gweka rope, you add big man to be determined. That's nine man rotation, right? That's going to be your guys for most of the season. And that leaves out Joel Mensa is still there, right? I didn't even talk about Keyshawn Johnson. I'm not going to lie. I kind of forgot about him. Sorry, Keyshawn, right? Keyshawn Johnson, who's super athletic and uh, will have had a full year in a full off season to, to work on his game. And, and he should have learned the system. Now he's a veteran player. Where does he fit in? I don't even know, you know, early in the season, it's, it's a lot easier to go 10, 11 guys deep, but come conference season and especially conference tournament and March madness tournament, you're dropping down to like eight guys. Where does key shot fit in? I don't even know at that point. Right. And then on top of that, you got the other incoming freshman, you got Lamont Butler, who uh, recently broke 
the scoring record for his high school, I think, or the division his high school is in, which was previously held by Reggie Miller. So great company to be a part of. And that's that his first option is to pass the ball and he broke the scoring record. It just kind of makes it a little bit more uh, impressive. So he's looking pretty solid and he's kind of on top of his skill on the court. It seems like he is uh, just a really great guy to be around. And it, it sounds like Keith Dinwiddie and Shea Evans kind of, when they found out Lamont Butler was going to San Diego state, they were like, Oh, okay. I should go to San Diego state too. Like that type of personality, which is crazy. But so you, you have Lamont Butler and based off that nine man rotation, he's not in it. He's not even probably the, um, I shouldn't say probably, right. Cause we don't know what will happen with Joel Mensa or Mensa or Keyshawn Johnson, but there's at that point, there's 10 veterans and one hyper talented freshman in Shea Evans, right. That are ahead of Lamont Butler. Uh, and the same thing for Keith Dinwiddie, who, if you look at some, I haven't seen him any like game tape. I've just seen highlights, but that dude can score also, right. He's a scoring machine. And so the, these guys are, are very possibly like the 11th and 12th guys. And it's, I just, I don't know what to make of that. Right. Cause these are, these are some pretty talented freshmen. And so, I mean, with all that being said, I, I honestly don't know what, what, what it's going to look like next season. I mean, let's say those two guys, Lamont and, and Keith pass, pass Joel Mensa, right. Then they're 10 and 11 instead of 11 and 12. Do they pass up, uh, Keisha Johnson? Do they pass up Trey Pulliam? Possibly. I, you, you, it's hard for freshmen to do, you know, freshmen. I don't want to say they like struggle in this system, but I, I don't know. Coach Dutch likes veterans. Really all coaches like veterans pretty much. Uh, but he likes veterans. It, it, I'm sure it feels to Dutch like he has more options with veterans and that he, doesn't need to micromanage things as much. So the players are looser and uh, can perform better basically. So I, the point is, I don't know what next year's team is going to look like. And uh, it seems like at least one, if not two or three players that have some serious talent might get shafted on next year's team. And I mean, the counter argument to that is, Heading into the season, I feel like I can make that argument almost any year. Uh, and then the year starts, and it's not necessarily the case. So we'll see what happens. But that's where it stands right now. Like I said, hopefully in the future I'll be able to get Mike on because he goes to a lot of these players' games, and he just does a better job of following them. And uh, I am really – what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. I'm, I'm like, this isn't the word I was looking for, but I'm kind of in awe of what Mike does over at Aztec Hoops Nation because following the recruiting path is uh, is tough. And when I started Aztec Breakdown, the, the first thing I looked for was, is somebody else filling this niche that I'm hoping to fill? And I saw Aztec Hoops Nation and I was like, dang it. And then I was like, you know what though? He, he seems to be focusing mostly on recruiting and he does some other stuff too. And I don't want to, I don't want to uh, compete with him there. You know, I want to be part of the community, but not, I don't want to push anybody else out, I guess. But so, you know, seeing that he focused on recruiting and did a great job at it made me like, okay, so like I can come in on this and I can do my thing and Aztec Hoops Nation can do their thing and we can coexist very peacefully and there shouldn't be any competition and we'll all just have fun and it'll be great. Uh so Mike does a great job. If I mean, you know, shameless plug, if if you don't follow Aztec Hoops Nation, I can't imagine anybody that follows me doesn't already follow Aztec Hoops Nation. But if you don't, go give him a follow. He does great stuff. Mike, if you're listening, you do great stuff. Keep it up. And uh yeah, that's it. That's it for, for next year's team. Hopefully this 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 year's team can uh make some noise in March. You know, the the recent stretch isn't isn't the most encouraging just because they 
they haven't been able to put together a full game, it seems like. You know, and, and a part of me wants to go back and watch other game, maybe the Creighton game. Watch the Creighton game and see how it looks different, you know. But it just yeah, it just feels like it's been a while since they've put together a full game. And so hopefully they can start to do that. They can take the time, figure out how to get better, and then and then do it and then make a run, right? And even if they're out in the first round, like I would have taken that at the beginning of the year. And I said that a couple episodes ago. So there's that, but also like being 30 and two, you definitely want more than a first round exit, especially if they, they do get a one seed. It's people are starting to say Dayton maybe will get that one seed and possibly should get that one seed over San Diego state. Uh, I don't know, honestly. And, I don't know if it's better for this team to play in uh, the West as a two seed or the East as a one seed, right? Just because one seeds generally progress further in the tournament, you know, regardless of, of location. So I don't know which one is better, but it'll be better for the fans at the very least to play in the West, assuming the Aztecs make it to the sweet 16. Cause then they get to play in Los Angeles. So either way, just, you know, Hopefully they can figure it out. I'm going to be looking at the film to see uh, if I notice anything. I, I'd like to say all the time, you know, I'm not an expert. I'm just a guy that looks at the film more or watches games more than once. And uh, I know a couple terminology things, right? And that's, that's it. But I'm hoping to do that over the course of the next couple weeks here before the actual game start. And uh, I'll, uh, yeah, be on the lookout for that. That's about it. I've been kind of rambling here. Not sure how to segue to closing, so I'm just going to close here. Thanks for listening, guys, so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, I will catch you next week. Next, This coming Sunday is Selection Sunday. So I'll uh, next episode I'll have some thoughts about the potential matchups and all that stuff. Also, keep your eyes out for every year I do just like a – a bracket challenge for Aztec fans. There's no prize or whatever. It's just, uh, I fill out a bracket. You guys can put in your bracket. And then at the end you get to say you're smarter than me because your bracket was better than mine. That's all it is, but it's, it's all in good fun. So if you're interested, keep your eyes up for that. That does it for this one. I will, uh, talk to you guys later. Take it easy out there.